Bibles, uh, but this morning is going to be a little bit different in that it's not really a specific individual we're going to look at, but really a, a period of time. Um, a few weeks ago, as you might re- recall, uh, we talked about Joshua's final address to his people in Joshua 24. Um, his final address urged that the Israelites you know, choose this day whom they will serve. And ultimately, at the end of the book of Joshua, the Bible tells us that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the Israel of the elders who outlived Joshua. Kind of a biblical happily ever after is how Joshua concludes. Well, this morning will be a a sequel to that lesson in some ways because we're going to look at what happens after these events in the book of Judges. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to to Judges. We'll be in about chapter 2. Judges being right after the book of Joshua and right before the book of Samuel, covers the events that happened after Joshua and before Samuel, as you might imagine. Uh, But you would notice that Judges is not the name of a person, as uh, Joshua and Samuel are. It's not named for a particular leader of the Israelites, because as we will soon discover, they didn't really have one. So this period of time is often just referred to as the period of the Judges. And it is during this time that the Israelites don't really have any true leader. And it is this lack of spiritual leadership and the consequences and the causes of that that we're going to kind of look at this morning. And uh, we, we, we normally kind of, you know, we'll read through verse by verse and kind of proceed normally to the text. But we're going to kind of work backwards. We're, we're going to start at about Joshua 2, uh, 14, and then we'll end at about 2, 7. And it'll make sense once we get into it. But uh, we'll begin by reading Judges chapter 2. From verses 13 through 15. Again, that is Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them, For harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. When I read this section, and I I read it a few times, but when I read really that ending section about a people abandoning the Lord, about being given into their enemies, about uh, being in distress, it sounds a little familiar to me. It might not apply to every single individual in this room, but when I look at our country as a whole, it would be hard to say we are not a people who are greatly distressed. We are a society with issues, with divisions, with enemies that we oftentimes feel like we are being handed over to or surrounded by. Enemies we're worried about. When I look around today for a variety of reasons, I see a country that has fallen away. And normally this sort of thing is talked about with uh, some hot-button political topic, right? Like abortion or Sunday laws or, or something to that nature. But look around. It's a lot simpler than that, I think. Luke six twenty seven: love your enemies. We've heard that before. Do good to those who hate you. People don't love their enemies. We don't even love our neighbors if we know our neighbors. How about Mark six twenty four? Another one we've probably heard before. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
We know this verse. You cannot serve God and money. I think other translations say God and mammon, which is just a Greek word for wealth, possessions, much bigger than just money, but things, materialism. We love God on Sunday, but people love money seven days a week. I cannot think of a thing today we worship more that is acceptable to worship more in our society than money. When we read the prophets of the Old Testament, they speak a lot about the influence to foreign gods and worshiping foreign idols. And as we talked about when we read Elijah, those idols are not always golden statues on little pedestals. Sometimes they're idols that are in our life that are ideas, that are concepts. When I read this text, the first thing I see is just how much we, as a country, need to change. And I know I'm far from the first person to point this out, but we have fallen away and we do need to change. So, where does that change come from? Where does it start? How do we get from A to B? Well, let's look back at the text. We'll still be in Judges 2, but this time beginning in verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. This, the last section was really about the, the state of distress Israel was in. But the section before re, kind of sheds some light on why that is. The cause of this seems quite clearly to be abandoning the Lord. Doing what was against what the Lord had commanded them. Seeking other things that are not the Lord. The text seems to indicate that these problems began when they fell away from God. If we look at the time of the judges after Joshua left... In this book of Judges, the people are constantly lacking spiritual leadership. In fact, it says the only place they were led was astray. <laughs> they were led astray by foreign gods. They were led astray by people with different priorities, who worshipped different things, who practiced different ways. People who had rejected God. And this had left the nation of Israel very divided. They had succumbed to different temptations and different idols. And at the heart of this, I think the text tells us, is, spiritual, is the lack of spiritual leadership. Just as in Judges 2, I believe there is a need for leadership in our country. And I'm not just talking about this president or the last president or the vice president or Congress or any of that nonsense. I'm talking about truthful, righteous, life-changing leadership. Because our nation... Our society, we, it's not going to change itself. We're not going to wake up one day with the problems and the unrest just suddenly, oh, it's not happening anymore. People aren't upset. We're suddenly not. If we read Scripture, and not just Judges 2, but if we go all throughout the Bible, the message is clear that more has always been expected of God's people. More has always been expected of those who have chosen God, those who are worshiping God, those who seek God, and those who try to do His will. If we accept or acknowledge that our country has fallen away and we acknowledge that we are in need of change, we also need to acknowledge that at least in some way the church is in need of change. Because if there is a problem in society 
and we are not addressing it or we're not helping it or we're not fixing it, if the problem is going on and on and on and on and on, at a certain point, we need to be doing more about it, right? How many organizations do you know of that have failing leadership that they just keep around year after year? Actually, as a Cowboys fan, I can think of a few examples, but we'll talk about that later. The church is called to be that change. They are called to be that light on the hill. They're called to be the good example to the nations. There is a need for leadership in the country, and I believe that should start with the church. Look at verse 10 of the Judges, chapter 2. And when all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. The problem starts when people don't know God. It starts when people don't know and don't recognize what God has done for them. That's why leadership, why change has to start with the church. Too often, I see congregations that are the, the source or the root of further hate and division. That take political or social sides, that draw economic lines, that exclude people that don't think or don't look or don't act the way they do. In the last few days, I've seen actual churches, and I guess I use the word few days a little bit liberally there, but over the last few months, I've seen actual churches on their social media pages post things like, you are not welcome if blank. I don't even know where to begin with something like that. The church needs to be a source of unity, a source of love. The world has enough hate and division on its own. And, and I want to be clear, when, when people don't accept us or don't like us because of something we're preaching, that's one thing. That's, I understand that when we are in the world and we are preaching things that are counter to what the world does, those days are going to happen. That is going to come. But I'm talking about churches that have become opinion makers, that have become attention seekers. That's not what we're called to do. The church needs to be a source of leadership. It needs to be the source of change. The church should be leading by example, by living out the change we want to see in the world, not, not fueling the fire. But we don't see that as much as we should today. We see things instead, like I referenced earlier, the church excluding people and... As I said, becoming opinion makers and furthering this hate and division. And I, I think we see that instead because in a way, the church, when we talk about the church universal, the church is failing in a way. And I think that failure is the same failure that was in Joshua's time. Look, at, look with me at verse 7 and we'll read down to verse 10. Verse 7 of Judges chapter 2. <clears throat> And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at Timoth Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, 
who did not know the Lord. In Joshua's time, the Israelites obeyed. Joshua chose leaders to follow after him. And in their time, the people obeyed. But when those people fell, the people fell away. For the church to lead a nation, the church needs leaders of its own. The nation fell ultimately due to a lack of leaders within God's people. If we remember Joshua's last words in, in Joshua chapter 24, there was an urgency in his voice. He said, fear the Lord today. Choose this day whose idols you will serve. Put away the foreign gods. Choose whom you will serve today. And the people responded to that urgency. They were very on fire for God. They renewed the covenant, right? They obeyed and they were like, yes, this is, this is awesome. And then those people pass away and the next generation comes and they obey God and then in the next generation they fall away again. It's interesting, isn't it? I think most of us, I'm looking around the age of everybody in the room, I think most of us here are drivers. When you're driving down, and bear with me, I promise this will make sense. <laughs> when you're driving down a particularly busy state road, sometimes, we can admit, sometimes the, the pace of traffic tends to uh, go above what the posted speed limit might be. That may have happened to some of us ever, right? We, that, that perhaps. One of those, we all know the sign back there said 45, but we're all okay with going about 60 miles an hour. And that might sound outrageous, but if you've ever driven from Florence, Alabama to Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, you know exactly where I'm talking about. There are whole stretches of the road. I don't even know what the speed limit are because everyone's going 60 miles an hour. So we're all going. We're going down the road, 55, 60, and suddenly people start hitting their brakes. Like, what's going on? What's up there? Oh, look, it's a cop. We all slow down. We all slow down for about the next quarter mile. Cop fades in the rearview mirror. And then, what do we do? Do we go exactly the posted speed limit the rest of the way? Because now we've been gently reminded that there are laws and people who enforce those laws. Or do we speed back up just about as soon as possible? I mean, if, if you hold steady and go the speed limit the rest of the way, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. You're a more responsible driver than I am. But I'm going to imagine most of us, like most people in general, speed back up as soon as we're past the, the guy sitting on the side of the road. Boy, there's a lot of families looking at each other right now. I did not realize this was going to be such a convicting part of the message. That's kind of funny. <laughs> um, <coughs> I understand idol worship and, and, and driving the speed limit could not be more different things. But I think there's a principle at work here that kind of holds up. If we're not being reminded, either directly or indirectly, of the laws or the consequences of laws, or if we're not being directed, if we're not being led, it's easy to stop obeying the law. Especially laws we don't think about every day. Or laws we don't care about. Or about this, laws we don't really agree with. We slow down in front of the cop, and we speed right back up as soon as we're past it. When Joshua was alive, people obeyed. When the elders were alive, people obeyed. When the leaders were gone, people fell away. Our country, our society 
It needs to be led by the church. But the church, we need leaders too. We need to get our own house in order sometimes before we can go next door and help other people. And again, I, I want to be clear. When I, when I say the church in this context, I'm not just talking about those of us right here today in this building. We're an awesome group. But when we start talking about nationwide change, it's going to take a lot more than those of us right here. If we're talking about the church universal, the church needs leaders. It needs leaders if it's ever going to be that source of change that God has called us to be. When there is leadership in the church, the church can be powerful and effective in its communities. It can be that light on the hill that Christ talks about. But when there is no leadership in the church, the church does not just stop being effective. Oftentimes, the church just stops being. When we read Judges 2, when the elders passed on, the nation didn't just kind of not worship as good. They didn't just attend less. They very quickly fell away. There is a need for change in our country, and there's a need for leadership. I believe the church can fill that role, but we need to recognize that sometimes we need to change. That we within ourselves need effective leadership. What we're talking about here is the, the potential for a nationwide change that has to begin at the individual level. It starts with you, with me, with us, doing a little bit more, with being a little bit better as Christians. I know that sounds kind of vague right now, and that, that what exactly that means is a lesson for a much later time. But I think the simple things we know, right? The simple things we see that we talked about earlier, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy. If you read all of the Gospels and all of the New Testament, there, was, there are a few things you see talked about as much as love and obedience. I think if Christians embodied those two things more than anything else, we would solve a lot of our problems. We need the church to lead the nation, but we need Christians to lead the church. We know the Great Commission, go out and make disciples. But what about 2 Timothy 22? What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Or Ephesians 4.11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Discipleship and development. That's what we're talking about. Not just reaching new people, but also growing those we have. A huge responsibility of the church is developing, discipling leaders. In Judges 2, Joshua didn't let the people become reliant on him. He had a plan. Joshua had a plan. The elders were a part of that plan. He said, I'm going to put people in place so that when I move on, the church does not fail. The people after him, they were concerned with the present. They said, well, right now we're good. Right now we have leaders. But no one among them said, we need to choose leaders after us again. 
You can never have enough people. You can never have enough leadership. You can never, the church is always going to need that next generation. There's never going to be a time where we can sit back and say, we've done enough. We're good. A change in the country starts with a change in the church. And a change in the church starts with a change in Christians. Us. I think next time we hear someone talking about how the the country is just in disrepair, it's just fallen from God, that, oh, we're just not how we used to be, maybe ask, what am I doing about that? Maybe think, how can I help this problem? How can I lead that change? It would be wrong for us to sit back and take a back seat. To say there's a lot of problems out there that someone should be doing something about, right? It starts with us. As I said, if there is to be a change in the country, it has to start with the church. And if there is to be a change in the church, it has to start with the members, with Christians, with us. To be a little bit better, to do a little bit more.